Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The Kansas City Royals are for sale. What does that mean for the team, the fans, taxpayers? We'll take a deep dive into all of that next on Deep Background. Well, greetings. You're on Deep Background for August 28, 2019. I'm Dave Helling with the Kansas City Stars editorial board. My good friend and colleague and co-host Leah Becerra is with us. Leah, great to have you. And Lynn Worthy of the Sports Page, a rare appearance here on Deep Background. Lynn, it's so good to have you here at the microphone to talk about all things Royals today. So thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Now, if, you, if you're a sports fan and you have some if you want to get a little bit of a, a deeper dive into the sportsy parts of this story involving the change of ownership, potential change of ownership at the Kansas City Royals, we invite you to listen to Sports Beat KC, the podcast by the sports guys, which is a daily thing. And by the way, if you're a sports fan, just listen to it every day. It's great stuff. <laughs> And uh, they take a bit of a deep dive on the subject we're here to talk to Lynn about, which, of course, is this suggestion that the local baseball team may soon have a new owner. What do we know? Is this, this is more than rumor, less than fact, right, Lynn? Yeah, less than fact, more than rumor. Um, every indication seems to be that this is happening, or at least in the works. Nothing's done. Um, negotiations going on for you know David Glass to sell the team. John Sherman, who currently is a vice chairman and a part minority owner in the Cleveland Indians, uh, he's a guy who's been a former season ticket holder. At least he has been. I don't think he still he still is now, but um, so he's a guy who's had a lot of roots in Kansas City. Yeah. Um, and so the signs are that it could happen even maybe before the end of 2019. Yeah. It, uh, is David Glass tired of owning the Royals? Why is he putting the team up for sale now? Well, is he tired of losing? <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, well, I, I think probably the financials would say uh, he bought it for ninety-six million, and now uh, Forbes values it as uh, I think a billion dollars. Uh, I think Miami was the one. Say Miami is the mo- last team that was sold, and they were one point two billion, and they had all sorts of issues with attendance and stadium and all that right, sorts right. of things. So. Um, that you think about ninety-six million and a billion. There's a good amount of change there. Yeah, that's, and, he, uh, <laughs> and just to be clear, Leah, he's eighty-four, and uh, you know uh, it, 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 he's won a World Series. He's done the things that you know he said he'd wanted to do, and if you can take some money off the table, uh, you could probably do that. But David Glass is an interesting figure, isn't he, in terms of what the public thinks of his ownership and. I mean, because you did see some comments to, today saying, hey, it's time for him to go, uh, and, and it's a good thing for Kansas City that new ownership is coming up. But there's also a sense that he he protected the franchise when Ewing Kaufman passed away, and then you had that weird ownership structure. Yeah, there were people who were saying it's, you know, it's about time that ownership changed hands. Um, there were actually a lot of people who 
were hoping that when it changed hands, some other positions got mixed up too. And it's not really clear if that would even happen. So. Yeah, yeah. Do we have any sense, Lynn, that uh, John Sherman or his group or any potential owners are buying the Royals primarily as a civic gesture? Uh, is that why you would do it? Would you do it because it's an investment? I mean, <laughs> David Glass made $900 million on his purchase. That's not a bad, uh, you know, a bad investment from 20 years ago. Or is it a combination of that? Or what? H- how do we see this idea that someone else may buy the team? I think it would have to be a combination. I mean, because we know he's a guy who's um, been involved in the Kansas City community, who's a fan of the Royals. Um, who's been involved with Major League Baseball and um, has, from all indications, a passion for sports and um, and this area. So, um, but I don't think you spend that type of money and not expect it to be at least an investment in some right. manner. Right. Um, and there's been lots of um, economists, like the name that comes to mind, Andrew Zimbalist, was one of those ones who's written all sorts of chapters on. The, the benefits of owning a team and the financials behind it and there's sorts of things that you can do that you know uh, allow use the team to sort of um, I don't want to say hide money but you know sort of move things around for right. yourself financially by being an owner of a team and right. being able to present things on the books certain ways um, but I think primarily at least at this point the fact that he's a fan of the Royals who's been involved with uh, major sports who's been involved with the community here I think he may have even been um, part of some bids to be in part of involved with ownership in other areas in Kansas City other teams in Kansas City um, it all sounds like he's a person who you know really likes this you know wants to be a part of you know this this area this team and um, maybe he has you know plans on trying to build it into an even more successful franchise. But you you would almost, uh, an owner of the Royals, particularly Lynn, would have to approach it as sort of a civic mm. thing in a way, as opposed to someone in a, in a bigger city where the profit yeah. potential is much higher. You have to enter into this knowing that the margins are just wafer thin. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's and where decision I think the making fan has thing to be so in. has to be so precise. One mistake, one twenty million dollar contract you didn't want to sign, and that's really you know that can really hurt you if you're in Kansas City. Not so much if you're in Boston or some of these other cities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think any time you take on that the that mantle of ownership of a of a franchise like that that's been especially one that's been in an area so long you know um that's part of it that's why i say both there's, there's obviously a civic obligation uh that he that presumably he feels um and he's also a person who's you know who's had connections to i mean he's been on the board of the to the Kaufman Foundation, um, who's part of the inaugural uh, Hall of Fame class at UMKC Business School, a uh, block school with Ewing Kaufman. Um, so I think there's definitely the civic connection as well. Yeah. And it's good news, again, assuming that it's John Sherman, we don't know that for sure yet, but that, you know, that's the suggestion of the story. It, it, his part ownership of the Cleveland Indians at least would give him some insight as to what the challenges are for the Royals. It's not like a businessman coming from you know some He's other. He's not coming into this blind. Right, completely yeah. blind, particularly about the challenges to the Royals. He's seen the Indians' books. We assume that the Indians' financial uh, picture is not that dissimilar from what it might be in Kansas City. They're similar markets and similar 
similar challenges. So that that's encouraging, isn't it, Lynn? Yeah, yeah. And the fact that, you know, um, it would also seem to, to um, make you think that it should be a smoother process as far as the approval, because anytime you're going to do an ownership, um, you know, or transfer ownership, sell a team, um, Major League Baseball, whether it's you know Major League Baseball in this case or NFL, NBA, the owners, right. the other owners in the league have a big say in that. They have to approve. Right. There's many channels. There's vetting, but even to be a minority owner as he is right now, there's a process for that too. So you, at least some of that has been done. It will have to be done again at a bigger scale. But you would think that owners there, familiar with him, they've gone through some of his financial background. Um, so that process should be a little bit easier um, just because he's, you know, he's been through it. But yeah, he's, he's obviously, he's had exposure to things that a lot of us don't normally see as far as the inner workings of a baseball organization, yeah. the financing. I, I, I covered rather extensively the last chan- uh, transfer of ownership of the Royals from Ewing Kaufman to his foundation to David Glass eventually. And uh, MLB is Byzantine in how it, it, it pursues this, and it's very secretive too. It's very, very difficult. And in, as a matter of fact, this isn't well understood, but David Glass ended up with the team basically because uh, Bud Selig came to him and says, no, you need to buy this team and you need to figure out a way to do it because Glass had been the temporary owner as, on, as a member of the board and having known uh, Ewing Kaufman for many years. What, um, uh, Len, do, do, does the team think about this? I mean, do they even think about it? Do they care? I mean, do you do you? We're going to talk about the fans in a minute because I know Leah's been paying a little bit of attention to that. But is this are the players all freaked out, or do they go, "Nah, it doesn't matter." Whoever well, signs the check. I mean, players, especially when things first happen, I think their normal inclination is to, well, let's wait until you hear something from somebody related to the team <laughs> because. Right. You know, they just, they're sort they of wary. They live in Rumerville. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're wary of, okay, this is what somebody's saying, but until we hear it from yeah. somebody here, then... It, and then also, I mean, with the exception of, I want to say, you know, maybe Bubba Starling, who's local, most of these guys are from different areas. I mean, they've come up through the minor league system, but, um, you know, and, oh, I should also say, uh, I mean, uh, Alex Gordon, who's, you know, a Nebraska right, native. Right, right. Um, but... Um, I think they sort of take the wait and see approach with most of these things because lots of things can be said, lots of things might change. There's reports and rumors. I think they, you know, especially in the, you get that sort of mentality where what's going on day to day as far as focusing on baseball and success is more right. what becomes. You, you um, can imagine where they would all get in the locker room and in essence say, "Well, we've got a game today." I mean, well, what's going yeah. to happen is what's going to happen. Although, long term. You would think, you know, Dayton Moore, the general manager, might well, yeah, be in some I would jeopardy. And, and front uh, office-wise, management-wise, it's something that's more – those are people who more interact with, you know, Mr. Glass uh, on a regular basis, whether it's, you know, Dayton Moore, um, Ned Yost, the manager. Um, and it's, I think it's sort of – it would eventually, if there is a change, and what that means would be more of a trickle-down effect because if there's going to be new management, you know, with the front office – and then management on the field and how they decide to shape the team, that's where it, w- it would start first there and then trickle down as far yeah. as what it's going to mean for them. Now, Leah, you, we've talked a little bit about fans, but the, the fans want a winner. And the fans the, want to win another World Series. Yeah, and, they, and the memories of 2015 are fresh. And it was a great time to be alive, I must say, in Kansas City. 
And so it seems like there's some optimism that because the Royals have been so bad the last couple of years that maybe a change of ownership is a good thing. Yeah, that's definitely been suggested. Um, the possibility of a new manager, new coach have also been tossed around. But people are really hoping that if the owner does change over, they do get put in a better position to win a World Series. But Lynn, like, how realistic is that? Just because one guy is hired doesn't necessarily mean you're going. Well, if there is a change in terms of on-field, it's something that would t- happen over time. I mean, like we were just talking about in the office with some people, it's like, okay, you can get fired up about this new owner, but the actual on-field changes would be more likely years down the road as far as whether or not he's able to do things to increase payroll or if he changes front office, if they change the way they, they run things. Um, now, as far as payroll, one thing that you know at least is on the horizon is there's going to be a new television deal, um, which, I mean, I think MLB.com had sort of estimated it could be you know 48 to $50 million annually that they'd be getting in a new co- a contract uh, as opposed to somewhere more like 2025 now. So that's you know, potentially money that could be coming that they didn't have before. Um, that's something that would be getting done this offseason, a new TV deal. Um, but but the flip side of that is, and correct me, Lynn, if I'm wrong, but the flip side is a new collective bargaining agreement is uh, a couple of years away. Yeah, I mean, the, the new owner is going to have to anticipate new rules around free agency potentially and new rules involving – you know, draft and that type of thing. I mean, that there are an enormous number of moving parts here. And to your point, Leah, I, I, I know fans are optimistic, but unless Bill Gates is buying your team, the <laughs> idea that you can now bid for Mike Trout is probably still not yeah, on the that's, table. I mean, that's, that's not so, going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's just not going to happen. And so it is. there is a possibility, Lynn, isn't there, that fans will get a bit over their skis in enthusiasm oh, yeah. for I mean, if this you, new owner is. If, if your thought is, okay, this new owner is going to come in and change everything, that's probably just not realistic. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what all your you know your expectation would be. Like, okay, he comes in and all of a sudden we're going to be buying all the high-priced free agents and, and all these sorts of things. I don't. I still don't think that's really um, feasible or practical yeah. to think that that's what's going to happen. And again, like I say, it might be small changes over course of years is what you would probably more likely see from yeah. a new owner. Um, in just a few minutes after the break, we're going to talk with Steve Bockrod of the Star about the discussion surrounding downtown baseball and baseball stadiums and so stay with us for that but Len I want to wrap up this conversation uh, by talking to you a little bit about what I've read online which is people saying hey if David Glass can turn 96 million into a billion dollars in 20 years there must be some money in baseball and this idea that you don't have a lot of cash to spend on players is probably bogus because you're the value of your franchise has gone up so dramatically it, it, are the royals worth a billion dollars i mean that, that that's an astonishing thing to me that a team in this community which is a pretty simple business you hire some people they play the game you count the tickets as people go through the turnstile get a little money from the tv contract or whatever but it's not that you know you're not making atom bombs you're playing baseball and yet it's valued at a billion dollars. That's amazing to me. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it, you mean, television contracts, rights agreements, I mean, merchandising, all these things, all these different avenues. I mean, and because uh, 
you're in, I mean, especially with television and advertising and different things like that, where you're in front of people so often, whether it's on TV or in the ballpark, you present a venue for people to be able to advertise, sell right. things, all those things. Um, Plus you're in a league with other teams. Being who, part of Major League right, Baseball. Right. And, um, but baseball and Major League Sports, and Leah, chime in here, are, you know, you always get a little, I always get a little nervous when I write these stories because there are few subjects that are more important to Kansas Cityans than their sports teams. I mean, isn't that right? I mean, it's the one of the few, I mean, we can talk about the mayor's race or what's happening to Frank White or what, but but major league franchises, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, are uniquely important to communities. I would even say that it's not just sports teams in general. It's the sports teams that we have. People in Kansas City are just so passionate about them. Um, I think the fact that, you know, I think I talked about this on a previous episode <laughs> when I went to a, uh, a basketball game at the Sprint Center, it was like preseason game. And I didn't realize this was a thing because I've never been to a Chiefs game. I still haven't. At the end of the national anthem, everybody says home of the Chiefs. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's a thing. Great. <laughs> that is just a perfect example of how passionate people here are about their teams the Kansas City Royals, the the Chiefs, even Sporting KC. And it's universal. It's, it crosses yeah. state lines. It crosses And I don't necessarily boundaries. think, like, if a basketball team, for instance, came to Kansas City, it would immediately have that same passion because they're kind of the new kids on the block right. and they don't have that history. Yeah, one of the downsides, Lynn, of that passion or potential downsides is you, you, you tend to take teams for granted. And these stories in some ways remind us that it is more fragile than we think. And the example of Stan Kroenke over in St. Louis, where everybody thought, oh, now he's, he's threatening to go, but he's really not going to go. And then, damn, he's gone. And, and, and now there's no football, no professional football in St. Louis, Missouri, which a lot of people thought was not possible. And so losing the Royals is, is not impossible, is it? No, I mean, especially in this day and age where teams, you know, will will move. Teams, you know, owners will come in and, you know, if they don't get the sorts of cooperation that they want civically or, you And know, other cities you are know, willing to offer that, it? And that too. I mean, you, know, you, you talk about the, the Rams, you talk about, um, you know, uh, the... The Rams now in L.A. and they're going to be sharing a facility with the eventually with the Chargers, well, the Chargers who were in San Diego. San Diego. Um, and San Diego took them. They spent a decade trying to work out a deal with yeah. the Chargers, but ultimately the owner just said, "I can make more money somewhere else." Yeah, and it's and that's always a danger in a place like well, Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, and it's and it becomes you know, and oftentimes it becomes leverage. I mean, just for, for me personally, having grown up in New England, there was a time when. You know, before the current ownership of the New England Patriots, Robert Kraft, that they thought that that you know the Patriots could be on the move to somewhere like St. Louis, and then you know people in that area who are very passionate about their sports teams as well. Um, it was like you can't, you know, it was just like a, you can't lose the Patriots. They can't move this team. You can't do these sorts of things. I mean, um, it's. It may be. I, mean, I guess there's a case to be made. I don't know if it's a, you know just a universal thing to be accepted, but I think there is a part of you know um, a regional identity that is definitely tied to some of these teams. Right. And so losing that for people, whether it's 
you know, you grew up going to the games or you, you know, you grew up rooting for these teams and these particular people, uh, losing that is a very, can be a very emotional thing for people. Very real thing. All right, Lynn Worthy, thanks so much for coming by. And let's see if we can stay under 100 losses this year. You know, we got to. It'll be close. It'll be close. (laughs) Just based off of the numbers right now, it'll be close. But they got a chance. It's (laughs) dicey. Lynn, thanks so much for coming. And Leah, stick around. After the break, as we said, we're going to talk with Steve Vockrod about the implications for downtown baseball and the new stadium and the lease agreements and all that stuff. And again, a reminder, Sports Beat KC is the podcast for all things Kansas City sports. And Lynn, you do that podcast on occasion, correct? And, yep, and that's the correct. other sports guys, great, great stuff. It's on. Uh, uh, it's posted on a daily basis. Uh, you'll want to check that out. Okay, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. You're on Deep Background. Hey there, it's Leah. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Kansas City Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a Deep Background listener. Subscribing at that URL will get you three months of unlimited digital access for $1.99 total. You get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. It's a pretty sweet deal, plus you'll be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So grab your computer or mobile device and go to KansasCity.com background. And hey, thanks for listening. Back now on Deep Background with our friend Steve Vockrod of The Star, uh, who does business reporting and investigative reporting here at the newspaper. Steve, thanks as always. Thanks for having um, me. And of course, Leah stays with us. Well, we, we just talked a little bit about the Royals' ownership situation, but obviously, Steve, attention in Kansas City and really in the region is turning to the future of the club as it relates to stadiums, venues, where are they going to play, and what role those discussions play in the ownership change. You've written about downtown baseball. Is it more likely today than it was yesterday? Less likely? About the same? Do we have any sense at all as to what the ownership change, if it comes, will mean for those discussions with city leaders and politicians and others? Let me start with a round of caveats uh, for our (laughs) listeners. Um, I would, I mean, I would say that the owner, the location of the Royals, and even the Chiefs to a lesser extent, but the, the, the future location of the Royals is one of Kansas City's favorite parlor games. It's you know, if, 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 if things ever go dry on sports radio, you can just bring up, where will the Royals be yes. in the future? And, um, and you would have a hearty discussion. And any time I've written about it, it gets, a, it gets a hearty discussion. Now, you could look at um, the possibility of John Sherman owning the Royals and try and connect those dots then say, 
does this give more impetus towards downtown baseball? It's too early to say. It's impossible to say. Um, and some of the re- initial reporting that I've been doing, kind of trying to look at this question, um, I don't have any clear indication that John Sherman would go in this direction or not. Uh, he doesn't even own the team yet. What I, the, what we, what we know about John Sherman is that he is a very, he's very involved in a, in a pretty quiet way in the civic uh, pulse of this community. Very quiet way. He, he's not a, a household name, certainly. He's not a household name. Um, you know, he ran, he, he ran energy, which was largely in the propane business and propane is, you know, it's not, I covered, I covered the industry for a while earlier in my career and, you know, it's, it's, it's not the most exciting business out there. Um, and that's not to, that's not to cast an aspersion on it. It's just, it is what it is. Um, it's, you know, natural right. resources. And John was very well respected in that industry. Um, and he's been well, he's been very well respected as a civic leader. You could say that if John is very interested in what's best for the community, there's a lot of people who think that downtown baseball is an enhancement to the local community. And he could maybe be talked into that, right. but that's, I. But, but let's because I think you're right. We don't know what John Sherman or any potential owner wants to do, or even you've written this that David Glass, you know, a couple of months ago might have been wavering a little bit. But I guess my interest is Steve that downtown baseball has been a low-level hum in this community for 30 years. I mean, you just right. it, it seems to never go away and never and and. and never gets buried it's kind of like you know uh, mike pompeo running for the senate he can say no a thousand times and people go yeah but mm-hmm. and you get the sense of the same thing for for downtown baseball but it does seem like this would be a good inflection point to either decide to proceed with this idea uh, or or to say in essence this ship has passed, we need to wait another 40 or 50 years and that our options really are out at the Truman Sports Complex because the future of the team is in essence uh, at, at, a, at a decision point, at a fulcrum point. Am I wrong to look at it that way? I mean, does this, you know, assuming a transaction goes through and is approved by baseball and then there is a new owner 12 months from now, now is the time to get a sense of whether this is actually going to happen or not. I think that's a fair statement. And let's just think about the timeline a little bit about, you know, what's coming up in the Royals' future regardless of ownership changes. The lease is on the stadium. The lease on the stadium at Truman Sports Complex runs till 2031. I think there's some options for extensions on that, but let's just talk about 2031 for the sake of argument. Well, you need to start figuring out in the context of downtown baseball, A, some sites, because if you own real estate in downtown Kansas City, you're sitting on a pretty good uh, investment. And let's say it's a clear piece of land, you know, do you sit and wait around for 12 years for the Royals to make a decision? Or do you say, hey, I got somebody who wants to build some apartments here, I'm gonna sell the land right. and we're right. gonna do the deal. And so you wanna be able to preserve real estate uh, you know, a good chunk of real estate if you want baseball to come down here. And it also informs your infrastructure decision-making, right? transportation, uh, you know, depending on a site. So you don't have to pick the exact site tomorrow, 
But I think what you're describing is the idea of, in essence, getting your ducks in a row if this is what you want to do. Right, because then presumably, and this is, you know, this is, again, just getting into the chatter of what we think may have to happen. You, you, you start to talk about, you know, does, does there have to be a commitment of public resources into this? And, <laughs> then, you know, that's, that's likely. And so you have to plan for that and, you know, and what that looks like. And then you've got to have construction and, you know, and, and so really now is not an inappropriate time to be talking about this. And clearly the city, you know, I reported about a year and a half ago that the city was actually funding a feasibility study that was looking at, you know, four sites at the time, uh, potentially for the, for, for downtown baseball, because that's how interested some downtown interests like tower properties and the downtown council and some others are in bringing it here. But I think it's also an idea that city hall is pretty interested in to help, you know, kind of expand the fortunes of, uh, of downtown Kansas city. Now, now, Leah, I think Steve is exactly right. This is the way to light up the phones. If you're, you've got a slow day on talk radio, but, um, but people are very interested in this, aren't they? Yeah, they always seem to be when we write about or when somebody has a rumor about it being a possibility again. But when it initially came up, and I think it came up like on Twitter or something like that, um, there's always two camps, the people that are totally for the stadium coming downtown and the people who are horribly against it. Right, there right. really is no middle ground. Do, 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 we have a cons- do we have a sense of a consensus based on what you see online at all? I mean, or do you think... I mean, if we had a vote tomorrow that more we don't know the details at all. We don't know, you know, as I've said repeatedly, if the Royals want to build a stadium for themselves downtown, fine. Nobody's going to object to that. Come on down. Buy your land, build your building and play your games. But it isn't that simple, of course. Do we have any sense what the consensus might be? We really don't, because, like I said, there are two camps, but it does seem like more people who are being very vocal on social media right now are really just hoping that if the ownership does change hands, that whatever happens, the team starts winning, more so than they're concerned about the location of the stadium. Right, and that's because you can win anywhere. I mean, your location is not quite that important. Talk to us a little bit about the politics of it too, Stephen. You have some sense of this. I mean, the mayor was very pretty adamant. You asked him about this at the first debate, uh, the first general election debate. And he seemed pretty adamant that this was not on his radar screen. I think he said something like, I need a new downtown baseball stadium, like I need a Maserati or something <laughs> something to that effect. Um, and I think if, if, if I'm placing the context correctly on that, I think what he was getting at was the public investment that would probably be part of it. Um, now... You know, we don't know exactly what the ask would be of whoever the owners would be at the time, if that's something they actually want to do. You know, there's the question of, of, of parking, I would imagine, for the Royals, because right now they capture all that money. You pay 13 bucks or whatever the fee is these days, 15, 13, to just park at the Truman Sports Complex. And how do you reconcile, you know, people like me, you know, me and my dad, when we used to go to games in Denver when I was a kid, we would parked two miles away because it was free and then just hoof it to yeah, get to yeah. the game. So there, that's part of the politics. There's also the politics of the county. Um, Jackson County owns this Truman Sports Complex, 
Um, and there's the politics of the public. I mean, you know, and this is just anecdotal, but we were talking about some of the reaction that you get when you talk about this. And one reaction I tend to get, regardless of whether people have a preference for downtown or where it is now is, well, wait a second, we just did a tax on this in 2005 and there was a lot of public resources diverted to this. Why are we just gonna walk away from a perfectly good stadium in Kauffman Stadium, you know, this soon after we passed a, a tax. I mean, 2005 seems like a long ways away, but people remember that. Right. People remember passing Although a tax the other for it. part of that argument is by 2031, the existing stadium will be whatever the math is 60 years old or close to 60 years old, which is arguably the end of a useful life for a stadium like that. Although I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's in great shape for, as stadiums go. I haven't been out in it's a while. It's the cleanest but, baseball stadium for a major league that I've ever right, been to. Right, you lived in Chicago. <laughs> You've been to Wrigley. I mean, everybody thinks Wrigley is great, but Wrigley is a different experience yeah. just in terms of comfort and other things. Um, and, you know, the other part of it is, Steve, in the, in the context of a, a public which has said repeatedly, no, we worried about potholes, we want to have safer streets, we want to have uh, trash removed, going to the voters and asking for a significant long-term tax hike for a stadium seems problematic, particularly since the states, you know, Missouri doesn't seem interested in doing this at all anymore. Uh, Kansas, you know, unless you want to move the Royals to Kansas, it's not clear they have the tools to do it. It just seems like, a, you know, if you're going to do this, you really need to plow the ground politically for a long time before it becomes uh, palatable. Yeah, well, and it depends on, you know, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on how much the Royals are winning at the time, a little bit. Uh, you know, it also depends on, you know, what tax base are you looking to tap? Is it just Kansas City, Missouri? Is it the county more broadly? Is there, you know, I'm trying to get a sense of whether there's any discussion about a regional, uh, you know, maybe a yeah. bi-state type of thing. Because uh, you got to also think about what the chiefs are going to want to do after their, you know, when their Precisely. lease comes up. And so. Which comes um, up at the same time as the Royals. Right. And there is a great history, and this should be clear to our listeners, that whatever one team gets, the other team gets. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to build a new stadium for the Kansas City Royals and tell the Chiefs, nah, you have to live where you're at. Now, there may be other ways around that, but the Chiefs are not going to put up with that, and vice versa. Well, the Chiefs will have their own needs, and you know, we see in the NFL that there is a continuous push to modernize stadiums, and so whether that looks like a renovation or something else, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know exactly what the Chiefs' plans are. There's probably only one person who really knows um, and that's Clark Hunt, but uh, yeah, presumably, in in return for a commitment to stick around, um, you know, it makes sense that a team might say, "Hey, what can we get to modernize, improve our facilities, improve the experience?" And I'll throw in real quickly, um, as it relates to baseball, baseball has a attendance issue it's been dropping yes. in recent years by the uh, way just to interject football has an in-person uh attendance problem to some degree too people prefer watching on television you've got the high def tv i mean if 
the the Chiefs were advertising Leah for uh, season tickets the other day with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. They're still trying to sell season tickets. There was a time 20 years ago where they fought over tickets on the courthouse steps. So that's changed a little bit too. Yeah, but football is eight to ten games a right, year, right. home games a year. So the you know there's a little bit of a exclusivity to say it imperfectly. But baseball is you have 81 home games. You really are trying to get an experience for your fans. And to my way of thinking, downtown maybe enhances that more than the setting where it's at now. Now, there will be people who disagree with me on that and say, no, we love getting to the game an hour or two early and tailgating out there and drinking some beers and eating some dogs. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you still do that downtown. Um, but I think that will probably factor into whatever decision whoever the owner is. Malia, do you think, we'll end with this part of the discussion, do you think fans are worried about losing the team? Oh or the, having the team move to another place? <laughs> there were a few people who I saw that said, you know, as long as the Royals stay in Kansas City, I don't really care. So, and I didn't get the impression that people were worried about the Royals leaving. I'm, I'm not sure that people have even, that thought has even crossed their minds. Right. That seems to me the fundamental question behind all of the politics of this, Steve. That is, none of it, none of it matters if, if the new owners have a commitment to stay no matter what. I mean, I didn't phrase that in a correct way, but it was always fascinating to me that David Glass never said, do this for me or I'm leaving. And Lamar Hunt never really said that, and Ewan Kaufman never really said that, and Clark Hunt hasn't said that. That's really their only leverage, though, if they want new facilities, right? I mean, it, you know, we're good corporate citizens and all that other stuff, but ultimately the only way these things usually happen is if an owner comes to a community and says, I'm leaving if you don't do X, Y, and Z. Right, but sometimes it doesn't even require the owner to say anything. I mean, I remember early in the aughts, you know, there being news articles that were suggesting, hey, the Chiefs might leave if we don't do this, if For we don't Los pass Angeles. this tax. Right. And I remember looking through the star clips to see, did did uh, Jack Stedman ever say that? Did Clark Hunt ever say that? And I couldn't really ever find an instance where they said that. But I think you know we've seen instances in which you know, like the Cleveland Browns are kind of the classic example when they decamped for Baltimore or even the Indianapolis Colts. Right when you, you Baltimore used to be the Baltimore Colts. Right, and so there is some. My precedence. wife covered the day that the Colts left Baltimore. Literally, they moved out in the middle of the night. Yeah, Mayflower truck. In a Mayflower truck, and my <laughs> wife was freelancing for a television station in Baltimore, and was literally there that night as the trucks pulled away. And the anger about that, particularly the Colts, which are kind of a legendary team, exists to this day. Yeah, I mean that's always that's always a that's always a risk, but I don't think unless it's a really crummy situation for ownership that they're that inclined to do it because a it's a terrible PR hit and no, b I, I, it's the, you know it's just not easy not that easy to but move but team. I agree with that but it depends I mean I as a Kansas City and lived through Charlie Finley leaving Kansas City for Oakland and I don't think there's a, a good appreciation for how much these decisions rest on the ownership you know mm -hmm. if the owner wants to stay in Kansas City will find a way. I mean, with reasonable requests and reasonable help, uh, he or she can stay. Hopefully the fact that this potential owner is already so ingrained in Kansas City and the community means that 
relocating is off the table. Right. And if it's off the table. Although I would say that people thought that about Stan Kroenke and the St. Louis Rams. And And, and you saw what happened. And I would also say that, and Steve and I talked about this a little bit earlier, if there's a group ownership situation, you maximize the value of your investment as a minority owner if you can move the team because another city might pay more. All of which is to say it's a pretty, again, Stephen, we'll wrap up with this. It seems like an inflection point for all of the, you don't have to decide this tomorrow. We don't even know if the Royals will be sold. You're exactly right. But it is now time for all these strands to start coming together. And 2020, 2021 seems like the framework for understanding the way forward. Yeah. um, You know, Kansas City is just a broad observation. Sometimes we don't always do a great job of planning for things. But I do have a sense that there is a planning, at least for a decision on this, uh, regardless of whether the Royals stay where they are or they go downtown. All right, That's a good thing. Great. All right. Steve Bockrott with the Star. Thanks. Leah, as always, thanks for your participation. And thanks to you for listening to our podcast. I'm Dave Helling with the Star's editorial board. You've been on Deep Background. 